We live in a society with an imperfect criminal justice system. It's one of the best that man has created, in my opinion, but yet it's not fair, let alone truly just. Jim Baker, for example, as much as we may not have agreed with what he did, and as it is true, he broke the law and needed to be punished, received 45 years in prison because of his misdeeds. And yet within the last month, a man who had killed his wife here in the state of Minnesota was found guilty and sentenced to 12 years. That is but one example of what many of us have talked about with friends from time to time, and that is the inequity in our, Christ, our criminal justice system. Operation Rescue demonstrators are held in jail. They are charged and tried and many times sentenced. But on the other hand, it seems that demonstrators for political causes, for example, those at Honeywell, may be arrested, but often the charges are dismissed. Why is this? That there is unfair treatment Well, the system is only as good as the people who operate it and use it. Imperfect knowledge of circumstances, bias, which is inevitable with any human being, mistakes, political agendas, all of these influence our criminal justice system. Because of what we observe in man's justice. We sometimes think that God's justice must be similar. We reason this way. Sin probably bothers God a lot because he's holy. But God will in the end surely some way find a means to excuse my sin. The fact is that nothing could be further from the truth. Because God is perfect. God knows all. There is no bias. He is impartial. He doesn't make any mistakes. And therefore, in the end, he will judge every man according to the works of his life. And then God will mete out perfect eternal justice. If the record of your life is like that of mine and all other persons in the world, that is marked by sins and transgressions against God's holy law, it means that you, like the rest of us, are in deep trouble. You see, God does not ever become angry. God doesn't become anything. God eternally is. And today, God, as well as being a loving God, is an angry God. The Bible says that God is angry, is angry, now, at this moment, is angry with sinners every day. That's hard for us to grasp because so often our anger 
boils up in a moment of frustration or disappointment. And it may or it may not be righteous anger. Because of our own experience and struggle with anger, we seem to think that somehow for God to be angry is wrong. But the fact is that God's anger is a very normal expression of the justice which is one of his attributes. God is a just God and meets out perfect justice to all people, including those who are saved. That's why you and I can consider the good gift of God, which we call justification, with such genuine elation. Because if we understand what justification is really all about, we cannot help but be filled with a joyful gratitude. We cannot help but fall on our knees and say, Thank God for justification. I'd like for us to think about the basics of the term justification for just a moment. Let's talk about a definition for it first. What does it mean? Well, it is a legal act of God. Let's begin there. Justification is a legal act of God. It's not something that we do. It's God's doing. It is a legal act of God whereby he declares the sinner who trusts Jesus Christ... Notice that qualification. The sinner who trusts Jesus Christ. He declares that one to be righteous in his eyes. God says from this moment forward, this individual is righteous as I see him. And whatever else has happened or may happen, I see this one as righteous in my sight. He passes muster. He measures up to perfect justice. There is no longer any transgression on the record of this one. Now in saying that, there are two aspects that you have to think about. First of all, God has to deal with the record. He has to pardon the record that records your transgressions and mine. God has to go to that record and expunge from it, remove from it the record of our guilt because we are guilty before God. He has to remove that. That's one thing. God going to the record and taking away the guilt that is recorded there. But that's not what justification is all about. The other side of it is just as wonderful. Because it means that God gives to me righteousness. Along with a share in all the blessings that he has promised to those who are justified. So God not only removes from me the sin that is so prominently recorded in my life's history. He takes away the guilt of that. But he also gives to me perfect righteousness, even the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you're thinking with me, you'll say, well, how can God do this? If God is just, as we say he is, then how can he justify somebody who's truly guilty? Isn't that just like our criminal justice system at times? Finding the guilty to be innocent by some quirk in the law. Well, the answer is, no, it's not the same. Because, you see, God has a basis for doing this. God does not merely wink at sin. God doesn't overlook it or just put it under the carpet where he can't see it. But God has dealt with our sin. That's why he can declare us righteous. He has dealt with it in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9 says, Having now been justified by his blood. You see, being good may keep you out of prison. But only the blood of Jesus Christ will keep you out of hell. God deals with our sin by the death of his son Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. There he poured out his justice. There he poured out his wrath. There he punished our sin in the person of our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now because God has dealt with our sin justly, he can turn to us and say, you are now forgiven and I give to you the righteousness of my son. In the Bible, particularly in Romans chapter 4, there is a truth that is termed imputation. Imputation. The idea is familiar to an accountant, one who's used to transferring funds from one account to another. What the Bible teaches about imputation is that God put to the account of Jesus Christ my sin. He imputed it to Christ. He ascribed my sin to Christ. And when I trusted in Christ, he imputed Christ's righteousness to me. He put all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my account. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin was ascribed to Christ so that then his righteousness could be ascribed to us. Writing in the Moody Handbook of Theology, Paul Enns says, Through justification, God maintains his integrity and his standard, yet is able to enter into fellowship with sinners because they have the very righteousness of Christ imputed to them. The meaning of justification is that God declares the believing sinner to be righteous in his sight. He has a basis for doing that, a legal basis. The death of his son Jesus on our behalf. Because Jesus died, our sins are forgiven and we are counted as righteous in the eyes of God. 
we who have believed. And that's the important thing I want to stress now. That it is only for those who have believed on Christ that this is true. Our text in Romans chapter 5 says, Having been justified by faith, it is faith alone which brings this justification. It is apart from human efforts or human merit. We contribute nothing toward it. It is all by faith. Harry Ironside was for many years the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. Years before that and shortly after his conversion, he was an officer with the Salvation Army. And during that period of his life, lived in California. He recounts occasions such as one on the street of a California city where he and his fellow Salvation Army soldiers were conducting an open-air meeting. Someone on this particular occasion came and said, Look here! There are hundreds of religions in this country, and followers of each sect thinks theirs is the only right one. How can poor, plain men like us find out what is really the truth? Ironside responded, Hundreds of religions, you say? That's strange. I've only heard of two. The man responded, Surely you must know there are more religions than just two. Harry Ironside said, Well, not at all, sir. I find many shades of difference in the opinions of those comprising the two great schools, but after all is said, there's only two of them. The one covers all who expect salvation by doing. The other, all who have been saved by something that's been done. You see, the whole question is very simple. Can you save yourself, or must you be saved by another? If you can be your own Savior, you do not need our message. If you cannot save yourself, then you must listen to it. You see, he put his finger on a very important point. You strip away all the denominational labels and the names of sects and groups, and you come down to but two religions in the world. The one where you do, and you try, and you work, and the other where you simply receive as a gift what God provides. Those two cannot be mixed. They nullify each other. They stand in distinction. The religions of the world are but two. And all of us gathered here this morning follow one or the other. Either we think that somehow we're going to justify ourselves before God, or we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we receive the gift of righteousness that God desires to give us, and we simply receive it by faith. Justification is God's saving act, which is directed toward the person who trusts in Jesus Christ as the only sufficient sacrifice for him and for his sin. It is through justification that God permanently cares for the legal issue of man's sin, removing the sin by forgiving its transgressions and replacing the sin 
with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God sees me, he sees me in Christ. And he accepts me just as he finds his son perfectly acceptable. Roy McLean used to tell of a beggar who stopped a lawyer on the street one day in a large southern city. And he asked the lawyer for a little bit of money to help him on his way. The attorney, taking a hard look at the man's unshaven face, said, Don't I know you from somewhere? The beggar said, Well, you should. I recognize you. You're one of my former classmates. Remember the second floor of Old Main Hall? And the attorney, with a look of recognition, said, Why, Sam, of course, I know you. Without further question, he pulled out his checkbook and he wrote a check for $100 to this man. And he said, Here, take this and get a new start. I don't care what happened in the past. It's the future that counts. And with that, he had to hurry on to his appointment. Tears welled up in the eyes of the beggar as he looked at the check, and he walked to a bank nearby, but he stopped at the door. He looked in the window, and he saw through the glass well-dressed tellers, a spotlessly clean interior to the bank, and here he was dressed in filthy rags. And he said to himself, they won't take this from me. They'll swear that I forged it. And he stuffed it in his pocket and he turned away. Amazingly, the next day, the two men met again on the city street. The attorney said, why, Sam, what did you do with my check? You're still dirty. Did you gamble it away? Did you drink it up? No, said the beggar as he pulled it out of his pocket and showed it to him. And he told him why he hadn't cashed it. And the attorney said to him, Listen, my friend, what makes that check good is not your clothes or your appearance, but it's my signature on the check. Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, How can God accept me? I profess faith in Jesus Christ, and yet I blow it. And all of us would have to confess that this last week, our record would include several incidents, undoubtedly, that we can point to where we know we've blown it. Isn't it wonderful that our acceptance by God does not depend upon the condition of our lives, but the position of it? the position of it, that we're in Christ. God has already forgiven us all of our sins, past, present, and future. They have been dealt with fully by the blood of Jesus at the cross. And now he accepts us without reservation. No conditions. He has signed the check, as it were, Because of Jesus. And when he looks at us, 
He sees not the condition that we may be in today, but he sees the position of our faith as being in Christ. The benefits of justification are many. Let me point just to two or three of them. Because of this truth of justification, I can know that God accepts me right now in Christ and that he will never cast me away. In Romans, our text, look at this. Verse 1, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. The whole context of the verse says that right now, every day, continuously, you and I stand in the place of grace, not judgment. And he says, we have been given our introduction. That means our access to God. We have an entrance to God himself. God accepts us right today in Christ. And he will never cast us away because we stand in grace. The story is told of a family who many years ago lived on the plains And one day in the midst of a drought, a dry thunderstorm came with lightning and thunder, no rain. And the lightning struck the tall prairie grass, and a fire was kindled. And before a few minutes had expired, that small blaze had become a roaring prairie fire that was moving right toward them. The family was trapped by fire on nearly every side. They couldn't move fast enough to get out of its way. And so wisely, the father lit another fire and allowed it to burn on. And then the family gathered as many things as they could and they stood in the area that had already been burned out by that fire that the father had started. And they watched as the flames came toward them, roaring, popping, blistering heat until the flames came to that patch of ground that had already been burned. And immediately they died down there and went around and on their way. And the family was spared. Because you see, they stood on ground that had already been dealt with by fire. You and I stand upon ground like that, folks. It's the ground of grace that we stand on. And already God's justice has fallen here. Already the white lava of his fury against sin has fallen in this place. It's the place where the cross has stood. And Jesus has absorbed all of that fury on our behalf. And now we stand in grace. And God accepts us in Christ and will never cast us away. What a wonderful benefit that is. And if you're struggling with your salvation today, and whether you are saved or whether you're not saved, let me tell you that once you have trusted in Jesus Christ and you stand in grace, you are accepted by God. And just as your works could not save you, your works cannot unsave you. 
It is grace and grace alone. Secondly, I can rejoice in hope. Because of justification, I can know not only that God accepts me, but I can rejoice also in hope as I contemplate my future destiny. Look at verse 2 again. He says, We exult in hope of the glory of God. We can have a triumphant confidence about us. There is a joy that comes from deep within that exudes every pore of our beings. In trying to find some way to illustrate this idea of boasting or exulting, I thought of a friend of mine who is quite a, a sports person. He enjoys watching, and when the team does well, and there is a good play, he is so into it, he jumps out of his chair and says, Yes! Have you ever done that? Yes! That's exactly the thought here. Paul says, when I think of my future, when I think of what's coming, I stand to my feet and I say, yes! I exult, I boast in hope of the glory of God because of justification. There is no doubt about the future. I know what it holds. And it's yes in Jesus Christ. I will inherit all things in the Son, including the coming kingdom. And then in the remaining verses of our text this morning, in Romans 5, and we'll stop with that, we can rejoice not only in the hope that's coming, but we can also say yes in the midst of our tribulations and trials. Because they flow out of God's loving purpose for us. The tribulations that Paul speaks about here are those experiences that create burden and pressures in our lives. Does that sound familiar? Situations that cause us to suffer. Tribulations. Warren Wiersbe points out that in the Roman days there was a heavy rake that was used in the harvest fields. It would be pulled over the grain. And this instrument would result in the grain being separated from the, the staff of wheat, for example. And they would pull it across there. And it would cause that wheat grain to be separated out and fall to the ground. That rake was called by them a tribulum. And that's where we get this word tribulation. There are times when God puts a rake, as it were, in our lives, and he pulls us across circumstances that are really very uncomfortable. Circumstances that we would not in ourselves choose. But God is saying here, tribulation has a purpose and its character. That's what God's after. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I can say in the midst of pressure and sorrow and disappointment and trials, yes to God. We can exult in those things because God has a purpose in them that flows out of his loving heart for us. You and I are a people in process. God is in the midst of doing something wonderful in us and for us. And all of these benefits flow out of the good gift of justification.
If we understand what justification is, our hearts cannot help but be filled with gratitude and joy. The Apostle goes on in Romans to talk about the wonders of this justification. And he comes to Romans 12 and he says, Therefore, because of these great mercies of God, because of what God has done for you in justification, because of this gift, I urge you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When we understand what justification means, it brings us to service, which is reasonable. If God has done this for me, how can I do anything less than give him my everything? When he says, present your bodies, he's saying your body and everything it contains. That's pretty much all of you, isn't it? To present is the word for offering up a sacrifice. It means to place beside something. He is saying here, I want you to place on the altar everything that you are because of what God's done. Folks, that's our challenge this morning. That's the point of application that we need to write across our hearts. Because of the good gift of justification and what that means to give our all to him hold nothing back. Say, Lord, I put it all on the altar. He says, that's only reasonable you should do that. It's your reasonable service. Let's bow together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to the end of this service, in which we have thanked God for his good blessings in our nation, We have seen the good blessings of God in our salvation. I want to ask you a question. How much of you is on the altar? Is it just your little finger? What about your feet? What about your tongue? What about your eyes, your ears? What about the potential of your life? What about your plans for next week? What about the relationships that you now are struggling with? Will you say to the God who has justified you, My everything, Lord, goes on the altar because of what you've done. I hope you can, and I hope that you will. I urge you that action because of the mercies of God. Oh, Father, you are a gracious God, and in your grace you have provided for us what we could never have in ourselves a righteous standing before you. Thank you so much. But Lord, may we respond with a no-holds-barred sacrifice of ourselves. May we willingly and joyfully put everything on the altar and submit to your Lordship in our lives.
and walk this week in the freedom that comes with that kind of a reasonable service. In Jesus' name, amen.